Welcome to Wednesday Night Live and the peak of the week. This is the class that puts some peak into your week and makes you glad that it's Wednesday. We got a lot of things going on. One of the things we got on is packing the pulpit. And some of the leaders here suggested that it would be nice if we got enough to cover me up. So if we can get it tall enough to cover me up, that's a good goal. So I'd love it. This week, Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about Romans and the theme of Romans. So you'll want to be here. Sunday night, we're going to talk about the resurrection. It'll be good stuff. This is the class where we learn from each other. So we ask you to ask questions, make comments. If you don't understand something I said, ask me to clarify. If somebody asked you out in the crowd and you didn't get what they said, then just ask them to clarify because we're all in this together just learning. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for the people who have come. And I asked you to help us to be drawn closer to you and to become the people you want us to be. I ask that you help me get out of the way tonight so that the students can see you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm looking for, a, a, have you ever faced a problem or situation that seemed impossible to solve or insurmountable? Chuck is back, y'all. <laughs> Would you like to expound on that? Uh, part. Well, let's see. I was in my third, fourth, fifth year of college, and I was working to get into vet school, veterinarian. And I wasn't getting in. What was I going to do? I had already been in school long enough. I was getting tired of school, but I didn't want to waste all the schooling I had. And that, at the point, it came where I said, I'm not going to get in. That seemed like it was an impossible situation. Okay. Thank you. Somebody else had an impossible situation. I really relate to what you said, Chuck. I, I was at Lipscomb so long that I had teachers looking at me and saying, are you still here? So yeah, sometimes you're in school for a long time. We're gonna have at least one more. Sue. Well, Chuck, going back that far, <laughs> got me thinking. Uh, when I got ready to do my student teaching, they assigned me to a school on the north side of Nashville. And Lipscomb, of course, is on the south side. And I did not have a car. There was no one from Lipscomb that was student teaching there. Uh, and so, you know, I didn't have a way to get there. But that still was where I had to go. Uh-huh. 
And so, then I found out that they were on half days, and so I had to be there by seven in the morning. <laughs> that is a problem. That was a problem. Yeah. Did you want to tell them how you solved it? Yeah, I can tell you. I, I walked like a half mile and caught the city bus uh, at four o'clock in the morning. I <laughs> went downtown and transferred. The ladies on the bus would wake me up when we got downtown so I would get off and get on the next bus. <laughs> and that's the way I got to school. And I walked out of my dormitory every morning without my dorm mother ever knowing that I did it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they wouldn't let that go. Uh, this comes at a time in Israel's history when things aren't going well. Saul had attacked the Amalekites and he was told to destroy them, utterly destroy them, but he didn't. So God tells Samuel, he's out and we're going to find our own king and so he sends him away. And the Lord said to go to the house of Jesse. And Samuel replied uh, when he gets there, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the s sacrifice. Sometimes sacrifice has got to be a big deal. Uh, where you would invite a lot of people around to celebrate the sacrifice to God. Because they felt once you made the sacrifice, God would be happy with you and bless your life. So getting other people in on it was very important. They arrive. And Samuel sees Iliad. And he thought, Surely, the Lord's appointed stands here before me. Does anybody know who Eliab is? Sue. He was the oldest son of Jesse. The, the oldest, oldest son of Jesse. And if you were looking for a leader, that would be the natural tendency. But he says, this is the leader, and Samuel sees him and says, this is the Lord's appointed. He stands right here. Why do you think he thought he would be the leader? Samuel saw him as the oldest, and that was naturally the one that was always chosen. They were, they were extra special. Uh, but he, you know, I, there may be other things about him that stood out to Samuel. Okay. He's the firstborn. Firstborn is considered the leader of the family, so he's the firstborn. Anything else that might have tipped him off that this guy is is bound to be the leader. Chuck. Well, the last one was taller than everybody.
somebody else, this one could have been tall too. Yeah, definitely could be taller than everybody else since he's the firstborn. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. The Lord looks at it. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What matters to God in choosing the next king? It says the Lord looks at the heart. What the man is on the inside, not the way he looks, you know, whether he's handsome or tall or strong or successful. None of those things were important to God. It was what he was on, what was on the inside, how he, his heart was. Chuck. Would have left Samuel at a disadvantage because God can look at what's inside, man can't. Yeah, when it came to look like a natural leader on the outside, they already had a king that looked like that. Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else and all of Israel. He just looked like a king, but he wasn't a very good one. The Hebrew actually says, the man looks at his face, at the face, but the Lord looks at the bowels. Now that takes a little explaining. Uh, they thought all feelings, all goals, all desires came from the, the middle of the stomach. We use something like that when we say, oh, in my gut I got this feeling. They believe that. They believed if you got it right here in the gut, that feeling was you. And if he's got a good heart, they didn't talk about this. They were talking about this. Only it wouldn't look good on cards at Valentine's Day, so they put hearts on it. But when he uses this kind of language, he wants somebody who is king on the inside, not so much on the outside. Is that apply church leaders? Chuck. <sighs> no mercy. <laughs> no mercy whatsoever. In what way? <laughs> In the same way that Christ said, I don't come to do my will, I come to do the will of the Father. To set up his church. The leaders of the church need to say, it's not my will, it's important, it's what God wants. And we need to do what's best for, for the people here to draw them closer to God. Very good, thank you. Now we've got to do this side. Hi, Bertha. 
God is always looking for people with servant hearts, whether they're leaders or not, but truly leaders need to have a servant heart. Okay. How would you tell? Attitudes. Attitudes? What they do, where their priorities are. Very good. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, there's still a young one. He's tending sheep. And Samuel says, nobody sits down until he gets in here. Now, that makes sense when you realize God has said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. There you're going to find the next king. And he's gone through all except the one out in the field. So he was sent him. They brought him in. He was ruddy. Ruddy's one of those words we don't use anymore. It means you have a red complexion in your face. Uh, it's, uh, England, I understand, has more people that have this red glow from their face. They have more ruddy people. But it's just uh, an appearance. Uh, he had a fine appearance. He was handsome. And the Lord says, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Okay. How's David described in this meeting? Handsome. Handsome. You keep right in there on the handsome stuff there. I see that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he, he obviously was young, uh, so he wasn't near uh, probably as mature as the older brothers. But it appears that he was, like she said, handsome, good-looking. Uh, so, you know, but that's not what you would see naturally as somebody that's going to take people to war. <laughs> Doesn't exactly look like that, a leader type. Good. Parents might be knowing that he's come in late from working and he actually looks like he's been working mm -hmm. and that's kind of what you're looking for somebody who will work yeah he's been working with sheep so he smells like sheep <laughs> not exactly the cologne you want for a, a big interview but samuel takes the horn of oil anoints him in the presence of his brothers, and don't miss this. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord was upon David in power. And, Sarah, and Samuel went to Ramah. So he, he anoints him king, and he takes off. And David, now he knows. Chapter 17. Now the Philistines 
gather their forces assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched their camp at Afri's Damn, between Soko and Kiliad. I'd look these all up to know how to pronounce them. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew upon they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another, with a valley in between. Uh, this is the picture of where they're at. As you see over here on this side, the Philistines. Over here on this side, the Israelites. There's a river flowing through. And so what happens when they get ready, Israel's on one mountain, they're on another mountain, the Philistines, and what happens is they send down their champion. And the man's kind of impressive. The champion, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. The most specific guess I, I ran into when I looked through the commentators, one commentator said he was nine foot nine. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and, the, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, to give you some idea, the helmet he's got on his head weighs about 200 pounds. That's, that's a big man that can sport 200 pounds on his head. The spearhead weighs about 25 pounds, just the head of the spear. And a man carries a shield. Now, why would he carry a shield with somebody this big and well-armored? Because of arrows. If you shoot arrows in the air and they come to earth, you better have a shield or they'll find that the weakest spot in your armor. But he doesn't carry the shield. He's got a guy who goes into battle if he goes into battle carrying the shield. He's a pretty big guy. And Goliath stands up and shouts to the rank of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill you, or kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. What's the challenge? Chad. To take down our warrior? 
Take down the warrior. If you can yeah. take down our warrior, if you could beat our guy. Yeah, send somebody, anybody. Now, who would be the natural choice if you're an Israelite? Samuel. No. <laughs> Samuel? <laughs> Saul. Head and shoulders above everybody else. He's led military campaigns. He knows how to battle. You don't send the king. You don't send the king. Well, in that day... So it, it was different than today. <laughs> yeah, it, remember Saul got in trouble. Instead of de utterly destroying the Amalekites, he brought back souvenirs so people would praise how good he was. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took this stand. Now that could get old. Now Jesse says to his son, take this ephide and roasted grain and ten loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all, the, and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now, they probably sent David because he was pretty old by this time. So he can't make the trip. So he's going to send David. But it is his notion that they're fighting this battle day in and day out. And all that is happening day after day, night after night, is Goliath comes down and says, somebody, somebody out to fight me. And they run and hide. And then the next day they repeat. So they're not doing anything. Sue? Normal father. After 40 days, he was beginning to become worried about his sons that were gone. So he sends David to check on things. Very good. So Israel and the Philistines are drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supply, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brother. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted the usual defiance. And David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran in great fear. Why do you think the Israelite army is paralyzed? Faith. Little faith? Very good. Anything else? That any of those people that are fighting with them or are in their army can defeat Goliath because he's so much bigger and better trained. 
than anybody they have. So they see it as impossible. So they think that eventually they're just going to come over and wipe them out. Okay, good. Ha. They don't see God being with them. Very good. Excellent. So he hears the challenge. He wonders why the people have lost heart. What circumstances you think might have happened? Thirty-nine days, nobody comes forward. It ain't gonna be any different on day number forty. Right? <laughs> so for thirty-nine days, everybody's been running. It's got to be a habit, sort of. Very good. Aware of what Saul, had, King Saul, had done. Um, disobedience to God. Okay, good. Shat. Warmed down the most is the same and single man for 39 days kept coming forward and they couldn't eliminate him so how are they going to feel that they can eliminate anything? So I think that was a very good uh, mind game to play with the opponent to keep sending the one man over and over and over and they couldn't even defeat, the, the army couldn't even defeat or get a hold of one man and take care of him. Yeah, I'm five foot eight or I was five foot eight. Some people say you shrink as you get older. Uh, it would like put me on the basketball court with Shaq. He's seven foot something. And somebody five foot eight is not going to get very much going. Online, Heidi says it's because they're not looking to God, so Goliath seems bigger. I'm going to say it's kind of like the like advertising. She says that constant repetitive makes you believe it. It gets in your head. Mm -hmm. If you hear that Tide's the best um, laundry soap each and every day, that's what you start buying. So the same thing. Goliath comes out, nobody else goes out, they never look for God. You start believing that Goliath's a champion because it just ain't going to change. Okay, very good. Thank you, Heidi. The Israelites have been saying, do you see this man coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from paying taxes. So what's the reward? Yeah. The man that beats the other man is going to be like a uh, superstar. It's going to be like a basketball player or some other idol. Okay, very good. <laughs> and wealthy and no taxes. Plus, plus. Yeah. Loyalty, Mary, and the daughter, right? Yeah, that puts him up, Chuck. He promised him a worldly reward. Not, not a spiritual reward. This isn't a spiritual reward. This is... Yeah. Where their head is. Yeah, yeah. And David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine 
that he should defy the armies of the living God. They are repeated to him. And what he's been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. This is part of it that I don't think we get a lot of times. Uh, this is the contemporary English version. David asked some soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and stopping him from insulting our people? Who does this worthless Philistine think he is? He's not making fun of the army of the living God. And the soldiers told David what he would give him if he killed Goliath. In David's view, why shouldn't he be intimidated by Goliath? Chuck. He showed his heart. He says he's insulted the living God. Let's he's not pick, more powerful than God. Let's see if we pick somebody to be David. Jim! You look, you look like a young, ruddy guy who... So what is David doing with this? Whoever kills Goliath gets a wife that's from the king, the king's daughter. He gets more money than he can spend. His family will be exempt from taxes. Chuck. I think David asks, what are you, what's he doing? What's he giving? But David's response is different than everybody else's. Everybody else is afraid. Huh? David's incensed. Yeah. Totally different response. Definitely. Chat. I think God may have spoke to David already in his heart. Said that, sure, he's large, he's big, scary, but he doesn't know how to play catch. <laughs> so I'll just throw a rock at his head and you'll be okay. So uh, maybe, he, maybe he already knew. That's a good analogy. I've never thought of it, but that's a good analogy. I think his first reason was his faith. Who is this Philistine that he should be up there saying these things about the people of God? But this second part, a little different. David hears it over and over and over again. And he listens. He didn't say, not interested. He hears it and he gets guys to repeat it to him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know you're conceited. You are at how wicked your heart is. You come down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? I can't even speak. He then turned away to someone else who brought up the same matter, and the man answered as before. What David said 
was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David says to Saul, don't let anybody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I wonder how Saul feels. Let's see. Chuck, I think you're our biggest guy in the class tonight. And Jim's our, our, our ruddy little boy. Now, now you, you get called to Saul. And you say, hey, I'll kill this nine foot nine guy. Just get out of my way. Basically. How do you feel? Chad. I've seen Jim walking with weights for hours. <laughs> hours up and down the road. So I don't know. Size may not matter. He may be quick. I imagine he is. Yeah, he's on that. I imagine he is. Oh, Saul was just laughing. <laughs> you? You're just a little boy. And that's basically what he says. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been, fight he's been a fighting man from his youth, but... David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. So, going again to why David's ready to become and knows he's going to become victorious, the first one was faith. The second is his past experiences. There's, there's no way... I, David should be killing bears and lions with his bare hands. If he can't scare them off, he shouldn't be trying to kill them. Because they can handle themselves. But David's heard it. He's got past experiences that underline a confidence. Chuck. Where? what exactly was, what the anointing was for. But it said, after Samuel got through anointing him, the Spirit of God entered David. And I don't, I don't think he understood it. He saw that he was able to do things because of where he had run, he'd been put in situations. You know, and David was certainly one who was going to run into a situation and and try and take care of it, particularly if he thought it was, he was protecting someone or something. But I don't know whether he knew 
that the power was God's power being yielded through him. Oh, that's excellent. I hadn't thought about that. That's excellent. What experience helped David to believe, and that, that is the lion and the bear. And then he takes, there's a little left out here. I've got to fill it in. He, Saul wants him to take his armor. When he puts his armor on David, David can't move. I mean, he cannot move. Remember, Saul is its heads and shoulders above everybody in Israel, and David is a boy. So he can't even move when he gets all this stuff that was made for Saul. So he decides on a different course of action. He took his staff in one hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. So, our David now has the Philistine coming up on him. He's not backing down at all. But neither is David. He looked David over. He saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come in at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He's kind of sure about himself, too. And David replies, this day the Lord will hand you over to me. And I will strike you down and cut off your head today. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For your battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of it into your hands. Okay, his reasons for victory, his faith, his past experience, and the difference between listening to those who know something and those who do not. Let's see if I can make this make sense. He's got some people who are telling him about what will happen to the guy who beats the Philistine. Not negative. His brother, he comes out and says, you don't stand a chance. Your boy, go back to your sheep. So uh, to be a great leader for God, you have to know the difference between who to listen to and who not to listen to. 
Because one person's going to help you be more godly and the other person's not. There are always Iliabs who go around and, and say, you can't do that. Or even worse are the people who go around and say, I had something just like that happen. And they, without listening to the person, don't know whether it was like, just like they have it happened. You got to know the difference between who you listen to and who you don't. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. David's only weapon. A slingshot. So, David triumphed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran over to him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard the scabbard is the thing that holds it to his belt. It's sort of a, a sword holding place. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. How can we move from cowering to courage the next time we find ourselves the underdog and confronting a giant problem? Okay, let's, let's look at David. Oh, Susan. You do like David did. You look at your past experiences, how God's worked in your life, and know he's there, and you move forward. Okay, thank you. Very good. Been anointed. Hadn't, hadn't David already been anointed? He's been anointed. Giving him courage, because everybody don't get that. Yeah, that would be one way. That, I call that reliance on God. Sue. I, I think what you were talking about, and she was talking about that reliance on God, that when we face giant problems, we know the scriptures tells us that the Lord will always be with us, that God will always be with us. And we can trust in that or have faith in that. Thank you, Sue. Chad's first, and then I'll get you, Chad. Um, put, put God in front, of the, in, in front of you, in front of the problem. So put God first, then worry about the problem second. And, uh, Very good. Yeah. You, you may be surprised. I always kind of define courage as doing something very difficult that you prefer not to do. You're afraid to do it. But even though you're afraid, you do it. David wasn't afraid at all. 
David had total confidence in God. So, not sure that I would call what he did courageous, because what he did, he didn't even, he did not even look at any other outcome except for Goliath is going down. There was no fear. Okay, thank you. Okay, we're out of time. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Next week, we're going to look at what happens after the giant falls. You would expect it to be one big celebration. It's not. This Sunday, I will be here, and we're going to be talking about Romans 1, beginning in verse 8, going through 17. It is the theme of the book, so you won't want to miss this Sunday. Thank you all for coming tonight. You make the class. You all make the class. So thank you so much. And if you're online and you're in the area, drop in. We'd love to meet you.